0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Erdix and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Good morning, Terry.
2: Good morning Nicole and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we are not taking phone calls, but the chat room will be open if you'd like to stop in and suggest a question. I'll try to work it in if we have time. Uh, You know, Nicole, something I think I haven't mentioned here yet, stop me if I have, uh, on the subject of inclusion is I don't know if you were watching the Olympics very much, um, Mm -hmm. but at least where I was watching it, there were a lot of commercials that included Paralympic athletes uh, in a way that I felt to be entirely unsentimental and kind of the best of inclusion. They're just there mm-hmm. amongst the other athletes as athletes. And mm-hmm. if you're not looking, you might miss the fact that they're on a sit sled or that they're, you know, have, have are missing limbs or whatever. And it was mm-hmm. just the most matter-of-fact treatment of disabilities that I've seen anywhere on TV yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I continuing now. The, the Paralympics start on March 6th. So I think yeah. the commercials are continuing and there are some new ones coming on. Uh, there's one I saw yesterday that was terrific for Samsung. It's called, What's Your Problem? Sport Doesn't Care. And it shows these athletes and wow. the complaint. While you can see visually that they have, uh, you know, limb differences, uh, mm-hmm. the, the audio is all, it's too cold, it's too early. They're complaining about the same things any other athlete would complain about.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. And it was just mm-hmm. such
2: a neat mm-hmm. statement. Uh, and it, it ticks me off that advertisers can get this but NBC yeah. is putting the Paralympic yeah. coverage at 1 in the morning. You know, they're, they're doing yeah. it live, which I guess is what people wish they did, but they're not doing it any other time. You know, it's no. like they're getting no. they're doing 50 hours of coverage, but they're doing it at 1 in the morning on yeah. NBCSN with three 1 yeah. o'clock Saturday afternoon shows on NBC. So
0: yeah. it's like
2: if, if people know you can sell stuff with this, what's yeah. the matter with the networks? Yeah. We're not showing the darn games. They're amazing, you know. I know Nobody is going to want to not sit down and watch sled hockey. It's fascinating, or yeah. you know, alpine skiing on a on a oh. a, a sit ski or something. It's yeah. it's amazing. What so it truly it's is. very it's very frustrating that. But <laughs> I, I'm just so amazed that the advertisers
1: yeah. are getting but it, I and think they're that's not good doing though. it in a sentimental,
2: mean, sappy way. They're doing it in the
1: coolest way. Uh, just but it's, so it's a good step. It's a good step. Yeah, it, it really I mean, is. It, it's definitely a way of putting it out there more and
2: yeah. exposing
1: the general public more to the fact that this is life mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. we're moving towards this uh, this attitude and, and way of living that everybody is mm-hmm. involved and no matter what the abilities. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. frustrating that we're not completely there yet, but I think
2: a <laughs> <movement>. <laughs> Advertisers it's a good movement. Advertising are scary. leading <laughs> way. is sort of a frightening thing, but it seems yeah. to be. So, you know, yeah, kudos to good them. Good. It seems like all of them decided at the same time to do it this way. I guess it's maybe yeah. because the U.S. Paralympic team is integrated in with the Olympic team. So yeah, if you're doing advertising with the Olympic team, those athletes are
1: included. So, yeah. Yay. For that, yeah, and let's see more of that, like everywhere, please. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It really is. It's good. I know my daughter the other day was at her tennis lessons, and there was a a young girl there who um, was in an adapted wheelchair that she was mm-hmm. using uh, to learn tennis lessons, and Kristen was absolutely fascinated. She just yeah thought that was just she was so intrigued by how. It, you know, how it worked and how she mm-hmm. could play and, and it wasn't necessarily the yeah. fact that she had a disability but the fact that she was using this really cool piece of equipment to
2: yeah. to move around yeah. and how
1: lucky she That's was really she didn't neat. have to run.
2: <laughs> yeah. So PBS you know, had is, a had so a documentary on which is going to be on a few more times before um March sixth. I, I encourage everybody to look up on their PBS listings and see where it is. It's called Ice Warriors and it's mm-hmm. about the U.S. led hockey team. And it, it okay. has interviews with all okay. of these guys. Some of them were injured in war. Some of them were, have, have been disabled since childhood. Some of them had accidents in their youth. And, uh, you know, all talking about what brought them here, but also very upbeat and very positive about the value of sports. And, um, you know, it would, I think, be really encouraging for kids with disabilities to watch that. You know, look at what you can do. <laughs> yeah, do amazing yeah. things, and look how exactly. Exactly. you know much acceptance and and how they people have turned things into to this tremendous opportunity to represent their
1: country mm-hmm. and and to mm-hmm. excel in sports. It's very cool. And, such a great right. attitude to have, and I think we definitely try and extend that into the classroom situation as well mm-hmm. in terms of yes. providing lessons for kids and saying, look, look what you can do, look what you're capable of doing, right. um, you Absolutely. know, and that's kind of, yeah, and that that's leads us into our topic today, which is yes. about pro- providing uh, various types of instruction, what we call differentiated instruction. Yes. and that ideally that would be done in just such a matter-of-fact way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: Related.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That it just becomes the norm, and providing these kids with equal opportunities to learn the same type of curriculum mm-hmm. and same subject matter, but in ways that appeal right. and are suited to their needs. And so that's our discussion today, actually. And we're going to be talking with Christy Casa here this morning, and she is uh, the owner of Inclusion University, which is a consulting company that helps parents and educators create successful, inclusive schools, which we all like Mm. and want, (laughs) and um, Christy (laughs) is also a professor and department chair in the College of Education at the University of Colorado. Um, She has also had a lot of experience in the classroom, which is so important when we're trying to do these, um, you know, when we're trying to share knowledge and teach people and, um, you know, raise awareness that we have that experience, too. We're not just speaking from you know a book that says that this works. <laughs> we can say I've been there. I know it works. <laughs> so anyway, good morning, Christy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. And thank you for joining us this morning and um and being here to talk about differentiated instruction. Uh now I sort of gave a brief overview a couple of minutes ago when I introduced the topic, but can you further explain what differentiated instruction is to our audience, please?
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, kind of piggybacking on on your introduction around, you know, the example of the Paralympics is, you know, shouldn't shouldn't uh, a variety of ways, you know, for for people to learn and for people to be involved just be the norm in classrooms, and absolutely, and that is absolutely where education is moving, um, following up with ideas of universal design for learning. And so right now in, like, for example, our teacher preparation program at University of Colorado, all of our classes infuse the ideas of universal design for learning. And so teachers learn right from the outset that they have to design instruction that will include everyone within their classroom, not -hmm. only instruction, but the physical space and how people access information and how um, people interact with each other. And so the idea of differentiated instruction really follows from this move of universal design. And so Mm -hmm. if we're going to define differentiated instruction, really it's about utilizing multiple learning styles for students. And so if I'm going to teach a lesson, I need to make sure that I am teaching the content not just in one way, um, but Mm -hmm. in many different ways. So I want students Mm -hmm. to have all different types of experience to take in the content, to process the information, and to share what they know. So, for example, if I was going to teach a group of, say, second graders um, about angles, uh, mm-hmm. I could do this, if I was going to differentiate that instruction, it, it might involve some of the following things. I could have them lay on the ground and make angles with their bodies while the teacher called out angles such as right, obtuse, acute, mm-hmm. and the students mm-hmm. would move their bodies together in pairs to show, um, you know, these different types of angles. But also, I, would, I, I wouldn't just do that, because that wouldn't work for every student, but I would also allow, uh, you know, students to find angles in the classroom, for students to be measuring angles with protractors, for students to draw angles, um, mm-hmm. uh, using something, you know, like traditional, like paper and pencil. And, and using all of these styles together, we keep students engaged, as well as allow students to access information, you know, with, with mu- in multiple methods. Mm-hmm. Um, a second kind of level of that is it really allows the teacher to extend knowledge. So I see differentiated instruction as, uh, in one way, um, using these multiple learning styles. And then in another way, it allows teachers to extend knowledge for some kids and to really support the learning of other kids who need maybe individual modifications or something like that. And so if, I'm, you know, if I go back to this idea of the lesson on angles – Right. Um, I may have students in my class who love geometry and are particularly inspired by math. And I can encourage those students to not only measure angles, identify angles, but also find the perimeter of triangles. So in that way, I'm designing a way for them to extend their knowledge. Um, yes. And this might not be the goal for all students involved, but it, it, so others could be measuring the angles and finding the perimeters, and others are locating right triangles in the classroom and confirming a 90-degree angle. Um, Some may be working on their own. Some may be working in partners. And so differentiation allows for us to look at the specific kind of skill areas of each child and also Mm -hmm. to to really push kids and then provide learning supports for other kids. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, probably my favorite thing about differentiated instruction is it helps us to move away from – this kind of static understanding of student ability. And so yeah. often in classrooms, I'll go in and work with a teacher, and they'll say, well, this is my low, this is my medium, this is my high. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what you find when you spend time and sit down with these kids and talk with them is that these ways of understanding kids are not necessarily representative of their ability, nor are they all, always useful, or probably exactly. I would say they're not ever useful. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. When you differentiate yeah. instruction, you really can get in to say, you know what, this is a kid who may struggle in one area, but in this area they can just fly. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it really allows them to go in that direction. And I love that concept because I know, for
1: example, my daughter, uh, in her school situation, which is very pencil-paper oriented because there's yeah. a lot of, you know, a very fast-paced curriculum that has to meet certain benchmarks at certain times, and that's just not her thing. She just, I mean, she does yeah. well, she's adapted, she's coping, but if you take her out of that situation and give her materials to handle and and art and, you know, just there, there's a variety of ways that she can represent her learning so fantastically that, you know, you just right. think, wow, if only she had an opportunity to do that in school and show her teachers what she's really capable of because right. that, those are her strengths and that's where... Um, you know, that's where she shines, and I think that's it's a great opportunity for kids to do that because it really uh, not only demonstrates their knowledge but gives them confidence, too, because they're capable and they're successful and, um, you know, being recognized for what they can do. So it's definitely a, right. a self-esteem issue as well, I think. So now um, you mentioned earlier while uh, you were sort of giving some examples of how differentiated instruction can happen, some strategies, um, for example, a student using their body, or um, what are some other ways that, uh, or other, other strategies for broad differentiation that students can, or that teachers can have students do? Right.
0: Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of different structures that we can teach teachers uh, that will allow them to kind of easily implement differentiation. And so many teachers use things such as learning menus, And Mm -hmm. a lot of these are available um, online. So if people were to Google learning menus, differentiated instruction, they would find examples of these. I'll also have a lot up on my uh, website, inclusionu.com. Okay. Or they do things like um, think-tack-toes or another structure that I use and teach teachers called You Pick It. And so basically what these are, though, all of these just have – Fun names that teachers use in classrooms, and teachers use these all the way from kindergarten up through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what the basic of, like, say, for example, a learning menu is, is it is, um, it's it's a structure that focuses on one topic. For for example, we could talk about photosynthesis, and then students would have a variety of activities that they would choose and participate in throughout the entire learning menu. And so there might be an appetizer that everyone has to participate in. So that could be something like uh, write the chemical equation for photosynthesis. And then there would be another section called the entree. And the entree could have three different ideas around one curricular goal. And so an entree for photosynthesis could be to draw a picture that shows what happens during photosynthesis or write two paragraphs about what happens or create a rap song explaining what happens during photosynthesis. And all of these different ideas allow students to represent knowledge in a form that makes sense for them, in a form that allows them to show what they know using an area of strength of theirs. And Mm -hmm. uh, these menus go on to have things like side dishes and desserts that offer different goals within that lesson, you know, for students to pick, so different curricular areas. So they may go on to talk about respiration and, you know, different, different types of elements that are involved in this lesson. But what happens typically when teachers are using this is they um, might start their lesson with some sort of a mini lesson, giving providing information to students using technology, demonstration, um, having students get into their book a little bit with some active, engaged learning strategies. And then right. students go on to, to engage in their menu activities. And they really are encouraged to start to think about, how do I learn best, which is a really powerful message for children that we often don't engage in. Um, in fact, I don't really think I started to really think about how I learned best until I was in grad school, Um, but I just really, I would have loved to engage in that, I think, as a young child, to think, what kind of a learner am I? How do I access this information? And so using menus or um, different choice types of activities that provide multiple ways for a student to engage in the content really allows that student to think about what kind of a learner am I? Would I best represent my knowledge through drawing something, through working on the computer, through creating something with a a friend or, you know, something like that. And so we're empowering children to focus on their strengths when they're making these choices, um, you know, throughout these lessons. You know, unfortunately, special education has traditionally been a bit of a deficit field. Right, where right. we focus on what kids struggle with. And I think what yeah. special education has been moving to over the last 10 years is a strength-based orientation where we really say, what What are children good at
1: mm-hmm. and how
0: can we support them to develop their strengths so they can mm-hmm. be successful? Yeah, And if you think about what we all do in the world, we use our strengths to be successful. And so we want to teach children to do the same thing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a wonderful point. Thank you.
0: Perry, did you have a question yeah. for
2: hey I, I really love the sound of what you're talking about it's exciting and I think it's all absolutely right ideas but as we discussed a little bit before the show started where is this actually happening because <laughs> you know as a parent as a parent I read stuff I listen to stuff and I say yeah you know what that's that all sounds great but I have never seen it in captivity um is this? <laughs> sort of thing at all widespread is it is it just happening in certain little pockets how do teachers and whole schools learn to do this because it's it's a big change and it's one that i bet a lot of educators have trouble wrapping their minds around i think it's less work eventually but more work right now and more expense how does how does a school get to implementing this and and do you have any yeah. statistics as to how many actually
0: are oh it's great questions i mean you know this is wet part of, some of the difficult work around. as i double wet around. blanket on the proceedings Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. We can absolutely talk about these things. You know, um, it's absolutely some of the the greatest challenge we have in inclusive education right now is we have the research base that shows that all students achieve more when they're in inclusive classrooms. We have the research Mm -hmm. base that shows how to implement universal design and accommodations and modifications and technology. Um, But but actually doing the work within schools is is a greater challenge. So one of the ways this is being implemented is our teacher preparation programs, are really responding to this new research base. And so, for example, Mm -hmm. if you come through the University of Colorado, you're going to be duly licensed we have all-inclusive programs for dual licensure. And so our Mm -hmm. teachers are learning from the outset universal design methods. And so, you know, what we're doing then is tracking them as they go into schools and making sure that these kind of strategies are being implemented. So that's one of the moves that's being done is in teacher preparation. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I do see, you know, and and when you ask, you know, is it happening everywhere? Well, no, you know, it's not happening everywhere. Where is it happening? Um, It's happening a lot in pockets all over the United States. Yeah. So I know you had uh, mm-hmm. Wayne Saylor on with the Swift School,
1: mm-hmm. and so the yeah. first
0: thing- the, the, the schools that they're working in are implementing universal design and differentiated instruction. A lot of the schools I work with in Wisconsin and Wyoming and California um, are absolutely really utilizing these methods because they've, they've really um, invested in some professional development for their teachers. And in that way, they're, they're being able to include more kids. They're being able to um, increase their test scores. They're being able to change the uh, how many students are able to be in the general education classroom because the general education classroom is now more responsive. And so we're seeing great outcomes where people are engaging. Now, on top of that, you see a lot of teachers doing amazing work on their own. And so yeah. they're recognizing they want learning to be active and engaged and to include all kids. And so utilizing mm-hmm. all, um, some of these differentiated instruction strategies simply becomes something that some amazing teachers are just very good at and, yeah. and very excited about. You know, the benefit of these types of strategies is they don't cost money. They are free. Yeah, right, they yeah, are real e- And they are actually really easy. They do take a little mm-hmm. planning, but every, but every new lesson takes a little bit of planning, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but they take some training so to,
2: to learn how to do them, and that's they, probably where yeah, the problem can. comes in.
0: Yeah, well, you know, but shows like what you're doing here and sharing information and all of our online resources, a lot of mm-hmm. you know people are um, really very good at reading and accessing this information and just yeah. trying it out on their own, which yeah. is which is awesome. And yeah, it's such a benefit yeah. of you sharing, you know, the, this message out there as well. Right, mm-hmm.
2: right. Um, you know, as a parent, also, I, I find a lot of parents just really don't have access to this information either and so there's a resistance to wanting your kid to be an inclusive classroom because of it where are some places that parents can find resources so the first step to advocating for this which is a whole nother question that it's difficult to know how to do but Mm -hmm. the first step is understanding well number one knowing it exists and that your kid is not just going to be dumped into a classroom where everything is at a higher level than they are and they're just going to sit in the corner being neglected. right? So you have to mm-hmm. know it exists right. and then you have to read enough about it to understand how it works. You need to maybe see some video of it in a classroom. Are there those sorts of, of resources for parents? I know teachers can get them in, in teachers' uh, education you know, uh, colleges and um, right programs. But is there an education opportunity for parents on it other than just, are there some books you would recommend? Are there some websites? Are there places to see it? On video. Oh, know? absolutely,
0: absolutely. You know, and that's. I would say over the last few years, we have really started to flourish in an information sharing, you know, era. So one thing is mm-hmm. my my website will be up in the next day or so, and so people can go to okay. InclusionU.com, dot com, and I will link to all kinds of resources. Not I, I, I have a weekly video this up. And then I also um, will have a blog that's running uh, and sharing information. And I will be sure to share through that medium um, lots of different video of classroom scenarios and classroom scenes Mm -hmm. and the research that's being done because really the research is Absolutely um, clear in when we include students, all students achieve more, yeah. and this is I, and i 'm talking about including all students and so i 'll share some of the research in that way as well. I have some fabulous colleagues doing work um, you know in this area mm-hmm. that have great great resources. I, I would say absolutely the Swift Center is one of them. Paula Cluth, of course, is another. Um, and you mm-hmm. could go on there, you know, people could go on their websites and access information. But I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share all of that on inclusionu.com so Wonderful. people can, um, you know, can easily link to that. Because mm-hmm. I, I agree, it's, it's sometimes very daunting to try to begin to understand all of this.
1: Yeah. And
0: um, it's, it, it, it is really important for folks to be able to see um, pictures, to see video, to see lessons, yeah. to, to try to, because then they can share examples with schools and, and, and help support inclusion of all kids. Because you're yeah. absolutely right. right. We, we don't want kids just dumped in classrooms. We want them to have thoughtful yeah. support <laughs> so, that they are, um, so that they are successful and, and feel like they're an absolute member of that classroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, yeah. I'm just
1: going to quickly um, interject for a second Because Please. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day About, y- you know, inclusive opportunities in schools And we were you know, basically giving an example of an elementary school That we know locally, and could that work in that school? And so she, you know, we were talking about the resources The parents, the teachers, and the things that are involved And then she said, but you know, that's not going to work And I said, well, why? And she said, because there are so many students in that class and I thought, yeah, you know what? Like, we have all these resources, and we have the knowledge, and we have the um, the parents yeah. and the and the teachers on board with this. But we really need to get the school districts too to say, yeah. um, you know, we're going to set it up for you properly as well. You know, we're going to have right. the lower class sizes. We're going to have the certain things in place um, that will support all of this inclusive. Learning and education, and I think there's just so many parts to it that I think um, you know, just continuing to share the information is so important, and realizing that it's not just one simple thing, or you know, having you know a strategy in place, or um, yeah, it just. Sorry, I just made me think of that experience. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. It's really difficult. No, it's so many parts. Good point. And it has
2: to be classroom wide, school wide, district wide. You have to get the buy in of the parents of the typical kids as well as the kids with, the parents of the kids with special education, both of whom have lots of reservations about it. You need to get the school board to back it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's
0: mm-hmm. I know in
2: our community right. any change is
0: fraught. <laughs> <You> know, <especially laughs> even it's only a challenge. So you know one of the things it it I was just thinking about difficult. when yeah, it is, it is challenging. I was just thinking, one of the things I was thinking about when you were mentioning the class size is uh, one of the uh, things I do most with school districts right now is help to um, teach teachers how to co-teach. And mm-hmm. so this is special education teachers <laughs> and general education teachers working together. Yeah. And so uh-huh. this is, this, it's such a benefit when school districts commit to this because it lowers yes. that student-teacher ratio in half yeah. immediately. Right. And one of yes. the most exciting things that I do when, when we do this is I teach them how to use differentiated instruction methods and Mm co-teach, so we wrap all of these skills together, and then we end up, you know, kind of really addressing some of these challenges around class size and Mm -hmm. around, um, uh, you know, uh, implementing something new and how that can be a little frightening. But if I do it with a partner, it feels as a teacher like I I can really go down that road a little bit more. Um, One more thing I wanted to mention is, you know, these are challenges, and it is a change in many communities um, to implement Mm -hmm. inclusive education, but... Something I always come back to is this is the right of a child with a disability. Yeah. And so, Matt, no matter how, how challenging it is, it is a child with a disability, disability's right to have access to exactly. the general education mm-hmm. curriculum. It is their right to have access to um, yeah. uh, interactions with their peers and to be in the least restrictive environment. And so I think families mm-hmm. need to know that, and I think I think you know, schools need to remember that as well is we – don't really get to choose whether or not to do this, but it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. um, students actually have the right. Students with disabilities yeah. have this educational right to to be a part of the general education classroom and to mm-hmm. access that curriculum. So mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah. that becomes our fun ad- adventure to then engage in how to do it. So
2: <laughs> 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 yes, yes, our fun adventure.
0: Um,
2: it is. It yeah, is. It's, it's wonderful, it, <laughs> challenging,
0: and exciting work.
2: <laughs> well, I always love hearing about. You know, hearing you talk about it, it all sounds so wonderful. I've read books about differentiated instruction. I'm like, yes, this seems so clear. This seems so wonderful. Why isn't this happening? And yet, it seems. I mean, I've been reading about it a long time, and it still ain't happening. So it's uh, you know a continued challenge. I'm glad you're out there fighting for it, and all the uh, all the educators who are, and all the teachers who are actually implementing it in the classroom and finding ways to make it work and getting the word out are all heroes. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. But, you know, Absolutely. The, the difficulty of the time, the time frame for change is always frustrating because kids grow up, they don't stop. <laughs> so, if right. you stay at first grade right, for right. years while so we, well, we figure this out,
1: <laughs>
2: you know, it, right. by the time it gets Once figured night, out, that kid is already gone. Um, and unfortunately, exactly. we're yeah. at the end of our time. So, but I love yeah. talking about this, and, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I love the ideas you've been sharing, and it's great to get that out. Thank and I you. hope people will look at your website and look into mm-hmm. this more and find out uh, how it's happening and how we can get it moving. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for being our guest today, and I'd like to thank our thank listeners you. for tuning to our program this morning. We'll be back next week at the same time with our guests, Charmaine Thayner who will talk with us about IEP meetings. Everybody's favorite springtime <laughs> ritual, IEP meetings. <laughs> like it's, that. It's Please hide under your desk and listen to us. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. And finally, you can download our past podcast, as well as this one, for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week.
1: Goodbye.